You're listening to What Mad Universe on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Check out all our shows at greenlitpodcast.com. Content warning. Slavery, lynching, misogyny, rape, sex work, spousal abuse, abortion, settler colonialism, revenge killings, and men of low character who do not wear suspenders. Action, excitement, horror, romance, thrills and chills, swords and sorcery, rockets and ray guns, a dizzying panoply of the strange and impossible from the darkest depths of the human imagination. What mad universe encompasses such tales as these? Join us as we bear witness to the sweeping sprawl of all the history that never was and all the futures that could yet be. It's adventure as you like it on What What Mad Universe. your life. My life? Harry Talbert, do you remember Jib Madnow? Yes. Did you ever see his wife? And Mose took off his hat. Y- yes. He groaned as he saw the truth. Well then, know that I am Mary Madnow. Do you ask for mercy now? Oh, Mrs. Madnow, I had nothing to do with it. Will you lie at such a time as this? In less than half an hour, you will be giving an account of your crimes before the bar of God. Dare you lie at such a time, you blood-stained fiend? The wretched man shook until his knees struck together. Oh, but Mrs. Madnow, I was led into it, and if you only knew how sorry- Stop. You are lying again. Two weeks ago, Ike Bain was telling you how his mind was troubled over the murder, and you told him that Jim Madnow had got his just desserts and you were glad of it. I heard you. Now stand still while I pass sentence on you, and do not disturb me. Your father was the head of the ring that made me a widow. You, and your brother, and Stanley Lancaster, and your dupes helped my poor Jim to a dishonorable grave, and for it you shall die. You, and your brother, and Stanley Lancaster shall die, and Ike Bain, who fired the first bullet into my husband's body, shall carry a wound that will mark him for life. I heard Ike express regret, and for that reason I will spare his life. Your father's punishment shall be the moaning out of a grief-stricken old age. Think, th- think of my poor mother. Why did not you think of me? Oh, it was blind rage. Forgive me, and I will be a good citizen. I'll do something to make amends. Your repentance is that of cowardice. Oh, Mrs. Madnow, I've got a young sister. Jim Madnow had a young wife. Have mercy! Those who have shown no mercy need not ask it. One thing more I must tell you. After I've shot you dead, I shall take this snubbing rope, fasten it round your neck, throw the rope over the limb of that pine yonder, hitch my horse to it, hoist you up, and leave you as you left Jim Madnow. Oh God! Oh God! She drew out her watch and said, Now you have five minutes to make your peace with God. At the end of that time, I shall fire. The miserable wretch fell rather than knelt upon the ground, covering his face with his hands. Mary sat upon her horse, the open watch in one hand, the revolver in the other. The bridle rein round her neck. Her face was like marble, the tears were coursing down her cheeks. 
When the time was up, she closed the watch and put it into its pocket. Then she secured her bridle and prepared her revolver. Stand up, she said. The wretched victim struggled to his feet, gave her one imploring look, then hid his face. Carefully, she took aim at his breast and, raising her voice, said fervently, O oh God, receive the soul of this poor sinner, and O oh God, forgive me for what I do. The Administratrix, 1889, by Emma Ghent Curtis. Hello, and welcome to What Mad Universe, uh, the show that discusses genre fiction, usually science fiction and fantasy, and the origins of that in pop culture, but today we're talking about a different kind of genre fiction, uh, westerns. Uh, I'm Philip, and with me as always is Adam. Hello. Uh, and uh, today we're talking about one of the very first uh, western novels. It's usually cited as the first uh, out of, outside of the dime novel tradition, so outside of the really cheap paperbacks that are not really available anymore because they were so ephemeral. Um, yeah. This is like the first uh, uh, respected novel um, that's of the Western uh, theme. And it was written by a woman, uh, Emma Gent Curtis. Uh, usually the first Western novel is given to another novel called The Virginian, uh, which was written by a man, but that was actually 10 years after this. So this actually was written while cowboys still existed. Uh, during the height of the Old West. So um, it's interesting taking a look at um, this whole genre from the actual time period. Yeah, it's it's always interesting to me uh, knowing you're going to read something, uh, particularly the Old West, like the, the 19th century, but like the difference between something written nowadays and set in a certain time period or set in a... set during a genre... I guess mise en scene, you might say, um, where as opposed to something that was actually written at that time. Um, so, I mean, this was, as you say, it was written by a Colorado school marm who married a rancher. So it's almost semi autobiographical to an extent. And, I, I um, assume she didn't gun anybody down. No, I hopefully the last know. part of the novel is made <laughs> up, but uh, uh, you never know. I mean, she she sounds a little dour uh, as an author by the end, so I don't know if some kind of tragedy had hit her by that point. Um, but it's uh, yeah, it's it's essentially written by someone who is living the life that's depicted in the story, um, and um, you so you do expect, and of course you you realize that you know like a modern western has the old west is just nonstop gunfights and 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 just a, a lawless place of constant combat and everything but um of course the actual old west was a lot more peaceful than that and there was a lot more you know just romping around in the empty range and so on um but um it is actually funny how much of this does turn into what we might think of as a standard western it does become a, a, a revenge tale um, and you know, it is about a cowboy, very literally about cowboys as in cattle drovers. Um, and you know, most of, most of the, the, the things are checked. It's just, it's just the pacing and the general structure. That's not what you'd expect from a modern novel, basically. And also, uh, the things that it spells out, like, uh, I, I noticed early on, uh, it, um, uh, um, it, uh, um, refers to chaps as uh, uh, chaparreos, um, mm -hmm. which is what it stands for. But And it had a little uh, asterisk, and at the bottom said uh, the definition of it. Yeah, um, right. Often called chaps. Right. 
it's and also uh, the focus. I guess it's not that much, but it's mentioned at least three times that cowboys don't wear suspenders and suspenders <laughs> as a symbol of, uh, yeah. of civilization. I guess. Well, I, I think it, it was it was written at least partly. I think to it, as you say, it's it's the first sort of highbrow or at least middlebrow novel, uh, like quote real novel that was written about the the wild west and and the cowboy lifestyle and i think she was writing it to literally introduce a more highfalutin literary crowd to what life among the cowboys was like i think that was the idea to kind of be semi-educational from that perspective yeah and it actually starts out with a quote from her from the author saying i have endeavored to portray the cowboy as he is Mm -hmm. right it's um, kind of like yeah yeah I like I want to learn about the Wild West and I want to learn about cowboys but I don't want to read these lurid dime novels that existed at the time uh, which was the main uh, you know that was that was where again a lot of what we would think of as Western fiction started to take shape and it was being written as there were literal cowboys and outlaws and and all the, the the frontier was being tamed and it was being written on the frontier. If you've seen uh, Unforgiven, of course, they have the character played by Saul Rubinek, who's literally writing uh, dime novels about the, the, the great gunfighters of the Wild West, and he's going and meeting them and writing the novels. And I, as I understand it, that's essentially accurate. Um, you know, there it was, although, of course, he was making up stuff and the gunfighters were making up stuff as well. So it was being mythologized as it was happening, right? Yeah, and there's a character in this uh, in this book that's sort of um, that sort of uh, larger than life uh, cowboy thing, and it turns out he's just a liar. Uh, Lat Jennings or Latshaw right. Jennings, uh, who's um, um, he, he's sort of a villain. Uh, he ends up being somewhat redeemed by the end, but um, he's a villain throughout most of it. Um, yeah. An antagonist, well, not a villain, but a you yeah, know, not a yeah. great guy, basically. Yeah, and um, but he, the way he was written, I, I felt that uh, that uh, Curtis actually really enjoyed writing the character because he, um, yeah. um, there's a lot of life to him. He's like just this scam artist, uh, right? Um, he tells tall tales, which is he, I think that's been a feature of you know the the cowboys and the figures of the Wild West right since the inception was like it was understood that they would make up. A lot more and more elaborate stories about themselves and and including to their biographers at the time and and i mean this is explicitly in this story that he's you know telling stories about you know this one story that he keeps retelling and it gets wilder and wilder and there's you know more and more native americans attacking him each time and more and more you know he has less and less to defend himself with and you know, it, it gets and less and less to to, to live on like he was was um there's originally some sandwiches he had in his pocket, but then it turned into less and less mm-hmm. as the story as he, right. the tellings go on. Yeah, I think that was I think that was to be understood, and it was probably actually true that the you know the the, yeah. the frontiersmen tended to brag about themselves and make up yeah. <laughs> stories about themselves. Yeah, the, this novel, uh, like I said, it's it's often given as the first cowboy novel, and we've we've clarified what that means because the novel actually does mention that cowboy novels are a thing that exists. Right. Um, Lat Jennings says that uh, one adventure he was in was written into a novel. Mm-hmm. And when um, Mary Fleming, the main character, um, or I guess she's Mary Matt now at that point, but uh, when she, um, you know, uh, she, she often likes uh, poking holes in his story, just sort of sarcastically, you know, um, 
making light of his um, um, his tall tales. And she asked if she can um, get a copy of this book. And he said, no, sorry, I left it back home. But uh, I could write to the publisher and maybe get a copy. <laughs> yeah. And obviously that doesn't turn up. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, exactly. Even Even talking about how he had a book written about him might be a, 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 an exaggeration in his case, because that was probably a bit of a mark of respect in some cases that, yeah. that somebody wrote a book about you. Um, just to mention the dime novels just quickly. I mean, you, you, you have the general idea of it, but it was, a, it was a specific thing that started in, um, in, uh, I believe 1860. It was these two guys called the Beatle brothers. Uh, that's Beatle with a D. Uh, and they started publishing Beatles dime novels, obviously for a dime. But dime novels could be a number of different prices. But they were they were these cheaply published, almost pamphlets. Uh, I think some of them started out as serialized in broadsheet type newspaper, not not actually newspapers, but you know fictional. I don't know what you'd call them. Like they were they would publish broadsheets with short fiction in them, and they'd collect them into the novels and so on. And yeah, they were sort of the the cheap. Uh, apparently, literacy rates really started to go up after the Civil War, so there was a bit more of an appetite among uh, the common folk for uh, for actual reading. Um, and so this these came out, and they were they were very you know populist. They were the things that you know all the all the the, the most shocking and outrageous events that people would want to read about. So as we say, uh, you know, uh, when Curtis sat down to write, this was more as as a real novel. It should be noted, of course, that the novel was in a bit of a liminal period at that point, too, because a lot of people thought of novels in the 19th century as being sort of the domain of women writers, like they weren't, which, i.e., meant they weren't always taken that seriously. Um, you know, they were seen as, as a bit of a, a, a hobby you know, again, middle brow, not necessarily low brow, but not high brow artistic pursuits either. It wasn't the opera, right? Novels mm -hmm. started to get taken a bit more seriously, I think, towards the very end of the 19th century. Uh, so uh, should we sum up uh, the yeah. plot of this? Uh, um, a lot of it's very slice of life. Um, mm -hmm. Like uh, like like we said, it's sort of presenting the, the cowboy uh, life to a to an audience that might not be familiar with it. Yeah, um, it's literally structured as like she goes out and she meets, uh, she's sort of, uh, the, Stan Lancaster is the one who catches her eye initially and he's like the romantic figure of the cowboy, although I guess he's a bit above a cowboy. And um, then she meets Jim Murnau and he's kind of, or Madnow, sorry, and he's a bit, he's a he's he's sort of the, not sleazy exactly, but he's the low figure that, the intimidating figure of the cowboy who who kind of you know makes her feel upset and flustered all the time and and doesn't uh, wear suspenders doesn't wear suspenders and uh, wears a buckskin shirt and uh, you know and so but he turns and out chaps. to be yeah cha chaparejos <laughs> he turns out to be uh, a good guy and of course she comes around and realizes that she's in love with Jim and and marries him relatively early on in the novel. Um, but it, it's, you know, she's supposed to be a viewpoint character for the, the, the reader, right? Like to say, well, this is what cowboys are like, and this is why they're actually good people. And I mean, of course, the, I think that was probably a big thing at the time was just that, you know, the cow drovers were seen as ruffians and hooligans and, you know, the people of the West, which obviously some of them were, um, and as she admits, but she wanted to sort of come to their defense a little. That was part of the point of writing the book, I think. There's there's a lot of, like a lot of, I think, novels of the time, there's a lot of sort of um, 
extemporizing about her viewpoints and arguments and things she wants to put into the reader's mind. So the first chunk of it is, well, cowboys, here's what they're like. Here's the life among the cowboys. Here's why I think they're they're good people and deserve to be written about. And then here's it turns in Maverick is and how branding works and all these things. Yeah, yeah, it's it's life of the cowboy. Then a big chunk of it becomes a suffragette political tract, essentially, um, which is um, really interesting. Because... Yeah, uh, she was, uh, of course. Uh, uh, I'm not sure suffragette would be the term at this point. Uh, it was, yeah, it was. She was, yeah, was. She was well, life. suffragist was apparently what they said, but it was yes. Yeah, she, she was fighting for what women's suffrage, which is to say, the, yeah. the right to vote. Yeah, uh, which fair. <laughs> Yeah. Um, uh, she's absolutely right. Um, Apparently she played a big role in getting uh, the women the right to vote around about like a few years after the novel was published in Colorado, which is actually... So uh, that was a thing because I thought women's suffrage came in a bit later, but apparently individual states had it and certain areas and counties might have had women's suffrage earlier. And it was because of, you know, activists working on it. And so Emma Gant Curtis was one of the big uh, activists for women's suffrage. So she did actually accomplish it at that time. Yeah. And she, uh, she ran, it was the uh, first state to grant women the right to vote. Um, Colorado uh, was, uh, it's a vote by referendum. Right. Yeah. It wasn't the first it, became yeah. the first uh, to grant women the right to vote by referendum. Okay. Um, she also, uh, sorry, reading the Wikipedia here, yeah. um, this is good radio, but yeah, she also, uh, ran for state Senator in 1894 and, um, uh, she was, uh, chosen as the people's party nominee for Colorado superintendent of public instruction. Right. Yeah. She was part of the people's party, which comes up in the book as well. Uh, they talk about something called the brow beaters as well, which I, think might be a fictionalized version of it, but maybe not. It's hard to tell. There yeah, were actually... yeah, they refer to the parties as the reactionaries and the browbeaters, which I think are supposed to be the Democrats and Republicans. No, time. no, no. The people, she was part of the People's Party, which was a third party. It was not the Democrats oh, okay. and the Republicans. Uh, like, this is, this is the thing. It's, it's important to understand that post-Civil War, yes, I think increasingly the Democrats and the Republicans became the big parties, but it wasn't until the 20th century that you had this sort of domination. And especially regionally, you had a lot of uh, other parties. Um, and like the People's Party was a real party in the West and South, I think. And in fact, uh, they ran William Jennings Bryan for uh, president, uh, again, a little, a few years after this was published. And then apparently that was kind of their big, uh, their big moment. And then after that, they kind of collapsed. But she was a big... Uh, member of the People's Party, uh, which again, which was, I, I think they leaned socialist, although sometimes it's a bit hard to tell around this period because um, <laughs> different different parties often had weird ideas that didn't map entirely onto our modern politics. But they were definitely sort of, you know, against the rich, the big rich people, and they were trying to be sort of a, a you know, a, 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 as the as the name would imply, they were trying to be uh, looking out for uh, for small homesteaders and. Uh, they want. They were pro uh, collective bargaining and so on. So they were. Uh, they were definitely a po a populist party. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I took uh, the. Um, um, like I said, I took the reactionaries and browbeater because I couldn't find any references to them on yeah. online. But that might be. Yeah, I think I think because... she made them up for the novel just okay. as a bit of a as a bit of a goof. But it's the basic idea of, you know, what yeah, what she was doing. Yeah. Um, 
and it sort of sorts the 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 camp into the the two sides and um i just figured the republicans would have been the the browbeaters because they they were for um uh abolition and all that and, right um in, in the book and all the uh um yeah th this book takes it as a given that uh, abolition is a good thing um which um uh you know it, it's quite quite a bit after the civil war but still uh it's set in the old west you know it, yeah. You often, even in modern stuff, get like, you know, Jonah Hex walking around in a Confederate uniform or whatnot. Yeah. Well, that's um, a whole though, discussion yeah, we yeah, could have yeah. about how the the South got sort of, the, it, there was a bit of a ping pong for, a while, all, actually all through the 19th century, about like one moment it was Reconstruction and then the next there was kind of a, a backsliding and then there was sort of, you know, trying to improve the lot of especially, uh, you know, uh, black people after in the South. And then there was, you know, there, there was a huge flood of, for instance, uh, black legislators uh, yep. in the, around the 1880s, I think there were black congressmen. There was, it really, there were, they really, the floodgates really opened, but then of course it got beaten back again. And anyway, so there's, yeah. there, there, there's been a bit of an ebb and flow in terms of the degree to which uh, people were looking on, but, but certainly I think um, the circles that Emma Curtis ran in and, you know, the, the, the highbrow, liberal elites <laughs> would have been, you know, very much in favor of, uh, they wouldn't have anything bad to say about abolition. And I think even, I think if you were, if you had bad things to say about, uh, about abolition, I think you were keeping quiet around this period of history. I don't think you were very loud about it. So. Yeah, uh, that makes sense. But, uh, even, um, as we said, Lat Jennings, who's a, um, gray figure and probably more of a, uh, on the bad side for most of the book, um, even he is a supporter of the uh, the browbeater party in, in the book, and mm -hmm. um, though it, it sort of qualifies it by saying it's just because his dad fought for it, and he just follows his family sure. uh, well, I, tradition. I think the kind of thing uh, at that time there were definitely you know there were the entrenched sort of political elites, which was both Democrats and Republicans, and then there were the more free ranging uh, you know populist parties. Uh, and that was the kind of thing that I think cattle drovers and people out on the range would tend to support in general, regardless of sort of some of the more specific cultural politics they would have had. I think generally it was kind of a, yeah, we want to be free. We want to earn the fruit of our labor. It, it's important to remember right up until World War II, uh, you know, socialism was literally, it was the, you know, the, the movement of the people and a lot of the poor rural people were socialists. Uh, it, it actually, it's, it only flipped around after the World War II that, you know, that you'd have the highbrow academics who'd be socialists and the, and the poor people would be moving more towards uh, reactionary. But back in the, in the old West and, and up until the, you know, the big union movements in the twenties and thirties, uh, being a socialist was often just, you know, poor, poor homesteaders, poor workers, poor, you know, uh, laborers, they, they often tended towards that, uh, that kind of thing. I mean, unless obviously not all of them, but that was that was where the base of support was for a long time for 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 that kind of uh, politics. Mm -hmm. It's also interesting that um, a lot of the these sort of uh, suffrage tracts in the book are uh, delivered by male characters, uh, particularly Jim Madnow, uh, Mary's husband, um, is um, constantly is talking about. Um, uh, let's see, there's a quote here. Look here now. We give the most credit for the gaining of our national independence and for the freeing of the slaves to so the ones who made the most noise and did the most work. 
We call the ones who sat back and petted the old institutions the hardest kinds of names. Now this is the old question over again. Someday the freedom of women will be recorded in history, and the credit will fall on those who are humping themselves at work and taking all sorts of ignorant insults now. Um, there's also a bit later where uh, some other uh, male cowboy characters are uh, debating over whether uh, um, women should even like bother participating in society because society doesn't actually give them any say in what goes on. So if it's not you know doing anything for them, why should they bother to uh, contribute? And they said you know um, you know what. Women by right should um, be going out and just um, uh, living a, a so-called loose life and not um, uh, marry husbands and whatnot. And that would be bad for for men like me who just want to, you know, settle down. But you know, they uh, they really uh, don't um, have any real incentive to do that. Right. Yeah. It's it's. Uh, I read I, I, I read a comment on it uh, that somebody pointed out. It's like, well, it is natural that Emma would... She, she was trying to persuade people, so uh, Emma Curtis would have said, you know, well, okay, here, here are some men who feel this way. They're being, as we'd say nowadays, good allies. Uh, because after all, it was the men who had to vote on giving women the right to vote, right? <laughs> so yeah. she had to convince the men, basically. Yeah, it, and that makes sense, but it's sort of interesting in this book that uh, Mary does express some of these sentiments, but a lot of the big speeches are given by male characters on women's suffrage. So, right. yeah, and that, that's probably the reason for that. And, yeah, Mary, Mary's the viewpoint character, essentially. But, yeah. yeah, it's it's meant to be. And it is funny that she doesn't, like, it's not like she has, even the villains aren't like, well, I don't think women should have the vote. <laughs> like, there's no, there's no, uh, there's no sort of uh, straw man in this. It's just it's it's whenever somebody gets a soliloquy, they usually have something intelligent to say. They're not going to be, you know, advanced. It's it's in some ways it's a pretty didactic novel, but that was often the style at the time, uh, just to have people, you know, discuss the ideas that they wanted people to consider. Which I think yeah, um, like wearing an onion on their belt which <laughs> was also the style at the time. Sorry. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. <laughs> Yes, I think uh, if I recall, Mark Twain specifically kind of uh, razzed at this kind of novel that it was always just the 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 author's opinions being snuck into the form of a of, of a, a fictional story, basically. And uh, it's it's you know, but that was just that was just how books were written. When we wa we watched we read uh, Angel of the Revolution, uh, it had a lot of the same thing. It wasn't just it was a you know an action adventure story, but it was shoving all kinds of political discussions in there same with uh of one blood to a certain extent um yeah yeah it's it's the though well, that, that worked it more into the into the plot as thematic material but yeah it right. had some yeah some speeches also back then rich people used to ride around in zeppelins dropping nickels on people and nickels had pictures of bees on them give me five bees for a quarter you'd say anyway uh that's what we'll be saying as we break for some commercials we'll be right back on what mad universe oh boy i can't wait for future history 101 today i hear prof timesworth is going to teach us about world war six gather round students it is time to learn
Podford University, where history and future are the same class. Available on iTunes, Spotify, and everywhere you get podcasts. Video Death Loop is a podcast where we watch a short video clip on loop until we just can't take it anymore. Along the way, we'll try our best to make each other laugh and to hold out longer than the other guy. You can jump in on any episode, no need to worry about continuity. Check out Video Death Loop on the Greenlit Podcast Network with new episodes every Friday. I, uh, you know, having read this book, I'm, you know, I, I, I found it interesting, but I, I, as I've been saying to Phil, I did find it a bit of a slog because most of the plot of this book happens in the last quarter of, uh, the last 70 pages of a 370 page book. Yeah. 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 So it's, uh, don't read it if you're looking for a rip snorting tale of adventure. And, and it's, again, as I say, the wild West is not portrayed as particularly wild. In fact, it's, it's actually kind of framed as, well, there's homesteaders set up. So everything's cool. Now there's no, there's, you know, back in the day we were fighting again, unfortunately, native Americans is always the, the attitude. Um, but, um, yeah, there's, there is uh, some troubling stuff with, uh, there aren't any Native American characters in the story, but the way they're they're talked about is um, mm-hmm. is unfortunate. At one point, it oh, describes um, a character like uh, going into the West and not bothering, and it says not bothering the Indians until they bothered him, sort of thing. Like uh, mm-hmm. it was like a live and let live, but still, right. he's going into their land and setting up. Yeah, well, that's yeah. that's the thing you have to understand about the Wild West, which you know, it's we're only sort of. A lot of us, it's only sort of dawning on us now that, you know, that whole period in history was essentially a, a cold war between, uh, you know, the white settlers and the and the indigenous people. And, and, you know, it was always sort of, well, those Indians just came in and over and attacked us. It's like, well, yeah, you were you were coming in to exterminate them. You're just you're the soft uh, hand of the exterminator. But of course, there'd always be the army or or various militias or so on riding out or even just, you know. The Texas Rangers sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. R- riding out to, you know, to clear the way for the settlers. And then, then there were things like the, uh, I don't have the name, but it, there was a land act in, I believe, 1855 that basically said, oh yeah, this whole chunk, it's all for settlers. So go out there and grab yourself a claim. And of course, people wanted a claim and they wanted some land of their own, which was a big deal. That's why they'd come to the new world in the first place is that you couldn't have your own land in Europe. But if you went out west, you could you could get land and, and raise your own homestead and uh but of course you know they'd send the army out first to to clear the way for the of the native americans so this was this is sort of the context that's going on so for all you know it's a non-stop and it's very unexamined you know this is in some ways a pretty liberal novel certainly for the time uh but it's you know there's of course no examination of well the native americans were here and were taking their land that's just you know that's just taken for granted that we should be doing it that way unfortunately yeah but that's 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 just how it was unfortunately yeah and they're also uh yeah also going back to the the um the events that happen uh there are multiple chapters that are just their literary nights uh between um uh this um uh, association of cowboys so just them going and and uh reciting stories or singing songs or doing like a um uh uh, poem that they would uh, do a, a one stanza of, then the next person would continue the story. Um, yeah, just it's. I mean, for, with cowboy stories, like you expect, like singing and you know yeah. around the campfire and stuff, but you don't expect, um, 
this sort of, you know, full on, yeah. yeah. Like a short story contest. Yeah, there's a short. Yeah, there's a short story contest, and there's a uh, poet. There's a number of poetry recitals. There's a surprising amount of poetry in this book, uh, which again, well, it's like it's a it's a song written down on in prose, I guess. Uh, uh, but yeah, some and, and some of it is um, actually uh, asterisks and said that this is a real uh, song that she came across, and it's written mm-hmm. here for the first time in print or whatever. Right, which. I, I, I mean, what, do you think that's true, or do you think she made it up and wanted it to pass it off as a real cowboy song? Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> that is the kind of thing that tended to happen back then. People would say, "Oh, I've discovered a an ancient song, and here it is." And you know, that, that was yeah, very common. At the same time, she was living in Colorado. You know, it's yeah, sure. I mean, it's it's a perfectly good. Uh, so it is it is worth noting, of course, how many of the uh, again, how many of what we would think of as Wild West you know, old Western songs and, and traditions and so forth were invented essentially in like the thirties through the fifties. <laughs> like there's a lot of the old West songs, you know, like, uh, were, were, were basically put down. Even the music wasn't always, uh, normalized until, you know, they started having recording sessions and rock and well, not rock and roll, but Western music, which gave birth to rock and roll, partly, um, country Western songs. Like the, the, there are a lot of, uh, up until quite recently, a lot of old songs would have, they'd be very flexible because there wasn't like a recording. And if there was, nobody had a record player to listen on to, to it. Right. So mm-hmm. y- there's a lot of, uh, a lot of what we think of as the wild West was again, developed in the 20th century, which I always find very interesting, like retro retroactively applied to it. And that includes yeah. stuff like music. Yeah. I mean, this story has like saloons and stuff, but it doesn't have that, scene in every western where a cowboy mm-hmm. walks into a saloon and everybody sort of squints at him and you know yeah the music yeah. the piano player stops you know yeah yeah it's all oh, the western tropes that you're expect i mean i i i knew we weren't probably going to get the tropes because she's not writing to the tropes like a hundred yeah. years later she's writing <laughs> she's writing as it's happening so it's just recording what's happening uh but it is actually surprising to me how much of it does become in some ways a classic Western tale of revenge once it gets going. Um, yeah. I feel like, like the last 70 pages would actually make a good modern movie. Like mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. There, there's a lot of like genuine uh, action and um, uh, just good character stuff in that. Um, yeah. Uh, if, if you, if you are uh, just want to read a, a rollicking Western, maybe just start at page <laughs> uh, yeah. 300 of this book. I don't know. I will uh, say I did like, I did like the way it, it they built her up with uh, Jim, Ma- uh, Jim uh, Madnow, Madnow, because he he like the way it became sort of like that. There, that was pretty. That was pretty well done. It became a sort of a touching romance. I know it's it's a that's a trope. The like they hate each other and then they love each other. But um, you know it, it's effectively done and it it's it's it serves a literary purpose. And uh, I think having having them together like that actually does build it up for when Jim Madnow is killed. Then you're like, you really feel something when Jim Madnow is killed. Cause it's like, wow. Oh, wow. We, we like this couple. We've spent a long time with them at this point. And now suddenly, you know, he's just dead. <laughs> like it really, yeah. it's quite brutal and out of nowhere when they kill him, you know? Um, I can't hmm. believe Jim Madnow is blanking dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they, and they, uh, they lynch him too, which is that, that gets referenced a lot. That's a thing that does seem to have happened a lot in the old West. Just, the famous uh, frontier justice, not 
racially motivated in this case, just the idea of, you know, hey, if there's a bad man about, we're just going to wrestle ourselves up a posse and, and hang him for whatever reason, which obviously <laughs> could often be a very bad thing. Um, well, yeah, it's, and it's in this case, done in service actually. because uh, he's um, uh, like a big uh, rich guy is uh, stealing his cattle, basically. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, he's starting to complain about it, so the rich guy uh, starts... Uh, making libelous statements about him and um, and rounds up a posse to have him killed. Yeah, that that that's a Western trope, actually. That yeah. it's, the guy who's behind uh, the 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 injustice is almost always some you know rich guy <laughs> and his thugs. Yeah. Like it's 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 uh, it, that's a that's that's a big. I mean, yeah, you have like wild outlaw gangs sometimes, but even the wild outlaw gangs are like the kind that take over a town. Like they're they're framed as taking over a town, but it's like that's sometimes what would happen. You just ride to a territory, say I'm in charge now, and you know, two decades later, you're a respectable citizen essentially. Um, but in this case, it's it's literally a, a cattle baron who or a cattle rancher who who's stealing the literally stealing the cattle by putting his brand on them uh, over top of uh, Jim's, and um, and Jim finds out, and he basically maneuvers things to get Jim killed and. Make it sound like it was yeah. his fault, um, and some of this is is built up earlier. Like there, there's there's hints that he's he's uh, suspicious that somebody's been stealing his cattle, and um, mm-hmm. there are like um, bits where Mary is being taught to shoot just as as like a lark. Um, um, so like it, it doesn't come out of nowhere completely when she starts uh, mm-hmm. gunning people down. Yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah, they, they, yeah, they, it's, it's a, it was a little, it's, it's a, a little, little bit, bit of a tonal shift, but it's, it is yeah. set up somewhat. Yeah. The, I mean that she learned, yeah, the ways of the, she needs to learn the way of the cow. She starts as a school marm, as I said. Um, so she leans, she learns the ways of the cowboy by living on the ranch basically. So she's ready. And it's actually, it's okay. Can I say something that's actually kind of funny? Uh, I'm surprised that the title is the administratrix, which means that she's the administrator female of uh, Jim's estate after he's dead, and the way she administrates it is by getting revenge on the men who killed him. Um, I, 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 they really missed a chance not to call the book the Executor because the executor <laughs> of a will is somebody who, you know, like that's that that would have been a perfect pun if they'd done that. I don't know why why she didn't do that, but maybe she felt it was too harsh of a title, or maybe the meaning has shifted a bit in a hundred years. I don't know. But yeah, uh, and also the pronunciation, like you can't make that pun with yeah, you can text, text, well. text well, you can yeah. <laughs> okay, um, I don't know. Yeah, but um, yeah. So uh, after her husband is killed. Uh, she uh, she sets off on a course of revenge, uh, which involves her disguising herself as a 16-year-old boy um, named uh, Mose Jones, and uh, actually um, entering into the um, to the enemy uh, cattle company. Mary um, died uh, gender fluid com- yeah. confirmed. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it actually does switch pronouns when she's disguised as a man, which is interesting. yeah. They they literally say yeah, we'll refer to her as Mose Jones. He him for yeah. for a big chunk of the, the the book from that point on until she reveals herself basically yeah um, so anyway she she sort of uh, spends a year getting um, information and um, uh, ingratiating herself with the group and finds that most of them either regret it or were sort of yeah 
she she starts to feel sorry for some of them, but she still wants to kill the leaders, and um, she she goes about it, and she doesn't take pleasure in it. Um, she she's shown. Um, uh, we read a bit at the top where she said she's gonna uh, lynch them like uh, they did her husband, but she decides not to do that, um, or like desecrate their corpses. She's just gonna shoot them. Right, um, and she and when when Ike uh, starts talking, like she hears him talking about how horrible he feels about it, she decides, as as we said in that little opening bit, not to kill him, just to wound him very badly. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, kill that uh, Mister Bones and wound that Mister Ike. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. uh, we're just doing all the Simpsons references today. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's. Um, uh, it, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's not like a modern day endless action thing, but it is certainly yeah. like, it gets pretty She's grim. not making quips. Like she yeah. feels bad about it. Right. Like yeah. she, it, or she doesn't feel, she talks about uh, being the instrument of God's justice and that sort of thing, but, right. uh, she doesn't go full like Schwarzenegger. Yeah. It does get like dark though. Like that's, yeah, that's it a gets lot. very brutal. There's some graphic descriptions of. And uh, she dies uh, fighting, uh, mm-hmm. fighting uh, the rest of the group. Um, one mm-hmm. of them threatens to rape her, I believe. Uh, it's not said directly, but it said he said something that's best not repeated here in print. Mm-hmm. Um, and and, uh, and that um, causes her to uh, to shoot him in self-defense, and then that everybody, you know, starts shooting, and she ends up dying. Yeah. And Stan Lancaster, the the who's basically the real, and again, she was the one he was he was the one she was crushing on at first, but um, he uh, he, uh, he she, ends up being she the overheard main... him uh, saying uh, really uh, misogynistic stuff about her. Yeah, and he he so he he ends up being the main the real main villain basically, and uh, he he ends up dying by being literally trampled rather graphically to death. Um, yeah when it happens again it's 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 a bit wild that it's this very staid novel uh you know written by a uh again not to not that women can't write <laughs> bloody it's just it's a 19th century you know fairly respectable woman <laughs> wrote this novel and suddenly it turns into a sam peckinpah movie at the end basically <laughs> um which yeah. is pretty impressive um but yeah it's it, you can see the you can see all these even the thing where she says like i'm gonna set this watch aside and, and give you five minutes to set yourself right with the Lord. That's a real, that's a real like uh Western movie tough guy moment essentially. Right. Like that's kind of yeah. a, that's kind of a badass thing. Yeah. Um, it just, uh, it is a uh, genuine, um, she's trying her best to be a good person still. She's mm-hmm. not completely giving in to, to rage, although she is to some extent. But it's, it's interesting though, that, that, it, that she just like, there's no, yeah, these people have to die. Like, yes, there's a lot of, well, are they that low? I feel a bit sorry for them. I'm a decent person. They're, they're scum, but I, you know, I, because I'm a decent person, I have regrets and so on and so forth. But there's no question of like, yeah, they should be dead. Like, we're not, yeah, we're not going to yeah. say like, oh, it's better. Because like uh, the Count of Monte Cristo, uh, if I recall, and I haven't read it, the whole thing, but um, uh, if I recall, they, they there's the argument that gets advanced in, to a certain degree in that is that... Uh, simply by having done the bad things in that movie, uh, in that movie, in that book, um, the, the, the villain, you know, is sort of living, a, he's, he's wasting away and he's gnawed at by guilt and he's, he's a wreck. Uh, and that to a certain degree, Edmond Dantes could have let him go and, 
and and lived his life and not had revenge and it might have been okay and occasionally you see that in you know the famous saying in a revenge uh uh movie is you know he who seeks revenge must first dig two graves um and this novel certainly ends up being true to that <laughs> basically literal yeah um but um at the same time they're not going to be taking care of justice because there's a rich guy you know helping right. them and yeah so like she she uh doesn't really have many alternatives. Yeah. Well, absolutely. I'm just it's it's interesting that you know at no point you feel like oh yeah no they you know it's wrong to kill them you know it, it's a it's a very refined sensibility for most of the novel but at no point once once uh, Jim's been foully murdered nobody goes oh yeah you know they should well is it right to kill it's like no no she's you know, the the Mary's. I, I guess it's from her perspective, but the, the, you never get the sense that the book is, you know, disapproving of what she's doing yeah. by killing them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, Mary actually dies, and then there's two more chapters, uh, which is interesting. Uh, Lat Jennings is sort of takes over from there um, and delivers some um, some uh, uh, regret over being a libertine for all his life and treating women terribly and. Uh, it's society's fault, but I still screwed up, sort of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, you, like, like I said, I, I got the feeling that uh, Emma Curtis really did enjoy writing this character. I, I, I can see, uh, like, not necessarily liked him as a person, but like, um, just had fun with with this character. Sometimes roguish characters can be like that when you're writing them. Yeah, I was surprised he didn't end up being one of the villains. Like, he essentially. You know he's not a great guy, but he's not—he does—he's not one of the people who murders Jim. Yeah, yeah, and and like I especially thought that when there's a chapter where he's just hanging out with Stanley Lancaster, and it says you know they they um, are um, drawn to each other because they're similar characters, and yeah, and they they keep telling trying to one up each other with with um, over the top stories about conquests of women. Um, oh yeah, one of Lat's uh, uh, stories of conquest earlier um, in the book amused me because he's talking to Mary and he says, uh, "You remind me of a girl I knew in my youth, and um, I remember the day that uh, uh, she cried because I told her she uh, I wouldn't marry her." And Mary said, uh, "You know, it's not really a compliment to say that I look like somebody you refused to marry." And then uh, it says, Lat realized that. Um, he had accidentally mixed up two of his things, so he was trying to compliment, you know, compliment a woman, and then um, also uh, uh, brag about his conquests. And he kind of screwed up by mixing them together. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Also, oh, uh, there, there's a running thing where uh, Lad actually falls in love with Mary because she can actually talk up, you know, like um, uh, stand up to him, which is sort of amusing. Um, there, there's a uh, there's a, a running bit with a lot of speeches about um, um, what kind of woman could satisfy a man like this. And um, just because they stop respecting women once they conquer them. So, uh, um, you know, in, in order to, to turn a man like this good, you, a, a woman would really have to sacrifice herself and um, uh, continue uh standing up to his, his crap during marriage and um, yeah. 
that's not a fun thing for her to do. So yeah, there's a there's a lot of it's obviously there's a lot of talk about the natures of men and women and their relationship, like how you know, I, like she's clearly it's written by someone who was not very content with the status quo for women and kept and was trying to wrestle with you know how do we how can we make this work for both of us? You know, how can we, mm-hmm. how can we arrange something where we might have, she almost comes up to the point of saying maybe marriage isn't a great idea. Like that's Lat's big final speech has a bit of that in it. And, and like, she doesn't actually say marriage is bad. I think that would have been really scandalous actually at the time to suggest that. But, um, but there is definitely that implication of like, this isn't working for women. We gotta, we gotta figure out something better. That's, that's, that's sort of, informs the entire story mm-hmm. there's also uh uh some stuff about prostitution which come becomes a little swerfy at points but I, again she was writing the 19th century and it, it's a different thing um, yeah she was she's she's not i think she's yeah she wasn't down on, on the um on the uh sex workers themselves to be fair like she was yeah uh she did consider there's an actually an entire chapter from a sex worker's point of view right um, that's what i'm so, thinking of yeah yeah. So yeah, but uh, no. Uh, I mean, it's 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 still sort of like yeah. It's it's a little confused about well, this is a you know den of iniquity and all that kind of stuff. But um, but it's sympathetic to her, like she was forced into this life. Yeah, yeah. Choice. But that that's also is a um, uh, a talking point of a lot of uh, uh, yeah uh, nowadays. You know, like uh, that all that. Uh, sex workers are all prostituted women who were forced into sex trafficking or whatever. Yeah. Um, I mean, fair and, enough, and that's but... not to say that that, that doesn't exist, but like there, I, I, I mean, sex workers that I've uh, seen discuss it want decriminalization rather sure. than, um, the, the current status quo or the Nordic model or whatever. So, yeah. But I think in 1887, I think that was a pretty enlightened viewpoint to point out, yeah. that, you know, they're not, yeah. they're not loose women. They're just, they're, it's, they're dealing with circumstances. Yeah. Basically. And, and think, uh, er, suffragettes I know in the early 20th century were, and yeah, actually in, in this time as well, were often also against, uh, uh, were for like prohibition. Right. Uh, be, uh, for the reasons that men often drank and beat mm-hmm. their wives. So, right alcohol was sort of blamed for that and that that's sort of uh on the one hand understandable uh why they would come to those conclusions but also it's sort of taking the blame off the men for you know abusing well, their wives so, yeah yeah that's sort that's of thing. Right. yeah no there was a there was a spectrum of different opinions i think you know i think she's i think she's got the bright basic idea i don't think there's any i think we're i think you can't read too much of like how much we've evolved the, the conversation in a hundred years back yeah in the yeah 1880s. it just it's something to talk about yeah yeah um but uh, i and she doesn't come across like uh, mary doesn't drink specifically when she's disguised as a cowboy she refuses to drink but there's no like moralizing about alcohol being the sin or you know yeah. the devil's the devil's yeah. uh, milk <laughs> yeah. or whatever and and the, yeah that like that was a big concern and it, it's not unreasonable because like a bunch of drunken yahoos blasting through town did really make trouble in a lot of situations in the old West. Like that was a real, a real thing that people had to struggle with. But I feel like, uh, those jackasses probably would have done damage anyway. So yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, anyway, you you don't solve it by making alcohol illegal. 
because uh, yeah. that causes its own problems as as we as as the U.S. found out. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, it I mean, it was it was a real problem that they were responding to, though. It wasn't just sort yeah. of it was they were just being priggish. It was like yeah, there were there were drunken yeah yahoos that were really causing trouble <laughs> in some parts of the of the wild of the nineteenth century in the Wild West. That was that yeah, was a real just, a real. Issue. I, I find it interesting how a lot of these social movements. Um, that it's not necessarily like um, all the opinions that we usually group into one side. Um, right. They've shifted over the years. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, um, well, uh, say, abortion used to be, uh, like a lot of the early feminists were against abortion because of the way it was used at the time. Right. And, and Well, I mean, that's that's the thing. Like, I, I mentioned that there's sort of a general, a, a broadly socialist character to the populist party of that time. Uh, but, you know, I think there are ways in which they would have been very socially conservative at the time as well, because of, mm -hmm. you know, there were the, the rural folk and, and something. And I think a, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of the religious uh, activists at the time might have been sympathetic to that. But also, of course, they would have been against liquor and they would have been against sex work and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, there's there's definitely... Um, you know, there's definitely a coalition of of different viewpoints that would come out of that, as as you say. Um. Anyway, so uh, it's an interesting book, definitely from an historical perspective. It is, as we've said, uh, slow going at first, uh, for most of it actually. Um. So uh, don't go into it expecting um, as we've said, a, a rollicking Western yeah. adventure from start to finish sort of thing. Um, Go into it to get your finger on the pulse of 1887 and see what the, the, yeah. the women folk were talking about in 1887. <laughs> Just wanted to mention that uh, uh, Dracula is killed by a cowboy. Um, that's the <laughs> thing that happened in yep. Dracula by Bram Stoker. A cowboy kills Dracula. I didn't make that up. Yep. Yep. Good old. Good old. Completely Jim. irrelevant, but I just, I, we're talking about cowboys. I needed to mention that. Cowboys, anyway. is there anything they can't do? Well, it's time to mosey on into the sunset, so we bid you once more adieu. We were the gentlemen cowpokes, Philip Rice and Adam Prosser, attended as ever by our faithful producer, host, and fastest gun in the West, Alex Ross. Theme song was by the original singing cowboy, Jack Burek. And just a reminder, we both have a Patreon, which uh, helps us pay for our hosting costs and whatnot. Uh, if, you if you subscribe to either of us, you can listen to this podcast early every time, as well as getting bonus material, cut footage, illustrations, comics, all kinds of other things. Uh, just go to Patreon and search for Philip Rice, one L, or Adam Prosser, two S's. Or you could go to neversleepsnetwork.com slash series slash what-mad-universe for the links. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter at WMU Podcast or Prankster36 for me, or Spear Half Falk with an F underscore for Philip. Uh, we'd also really appreciate it if people felt like leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Uh, that would really help us out a lot. Uh, bumps up our stats and gets us noticed. Um, yeah, uh, speaking of my Twitter, I recently uh, started a thread of books I've read as Simpsons memes. <laughs> uh, so, I don't know, check that out. I, I found it pretty amusing. I I've done the entire catalog of this show so far uh, <laughs> and uh, some other books I've read um, I, I don't know just an excuse for why we did so many Simpsons jokes this episode I guess yes. <laughs> Phil do um, not tell people to go to Twitter we should not t be telling people to go to Twitter we're very bad people go to my Twitter <laughs> uh, 
and old. Uh, and um, uh, Adam, you just finished up your Star Trek podcast. It was very good. Yeah, mirroruniverse.podbean.com uh, if you're interested. It's uh, it, we finished our limited run. We may be, we're thinking we'll probably come back in a few months. We might do an, another episode or two. It might be kind of an off and again, on again thing, but. Yeah, just uh, there's a few. There's nine episodes up right now for yeah. a limited discussion. Very interesting uh, for somebody who's sort of lay person on Star Trek. So uh, listen to that, um, and uh, we'll see you uh, uh, next or next time in two weeks for our season finale. Uh, we'll be taking a break for a few months and then uh coming back probably in october yeah that's uh, that's the plan um yeah we'll be a few months we'll be taking the summer off for sure yeah uh just um sure. and we've done uh 32 episodes like we did first season so um it's time for a break and uh maybe i can actually get through the lensman series for next season <laughs> um indeed so uh we'll see you then and uh until next time podners happy trails to all of you